Hey guys, Amir Ryder here with the Cloud9 Podcast, keeping our Chief Customer Officer experience alive and uh, discussions keep on keep on going. I'm here with Tabitha Dunn, Chief Customer Officer for Ericsson Global. How's it going? It is going great. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you taking time to uh, join us today. You have tons of experience. Uh, Tabitha's worked for probably every single big organization out there. I think everywhere from Citrix, SAP, now Ericsson, um, and I think most recently you've moved to Sweden, right? That's right. I moved to Sweden in August of last year. So, so before we get going, it, it, it'd be great to tell us, uh, tell us listeners maybe an interesting fact about you that they couldn't find out on Google or, or LinkedIn. Mm. Well, you might be able to figure it out if you Google me, but my very first career was as a professional ballroom dancer and instructor. So I know more than 30 different dances and styles, both men and women lead and follow. I know one. Um, it's like this little little motion I do. It's, it doesn't get me too far, but I, if I need, <laughs> anyone needs to ever learn some, some dancing, um, they'll reach out to you for sure. But let's talk today about, you know, the six disciplines of CX and, and just kind of um, you know, what delivering excellence is like for Ericsson. But, you know, before we get into that, it'd be awesome to understand, you know, a little bit about your path into, into leadership, right? I think um, it's a big journey. And, and for us, for the listeners out there who, are, you know, might be making the big jump or deciding whether or not they're going to leave their current position or starting, it'd be great to hear your path um, to leading the CX department of a company that has over 130,000 global employees. <laughs> You know, I am one of the lucky ones who ended up in customer experience um, a long time ago, more than 18 years ago, when customer experience wasn't a real job by a lot of people's terms. Yeah. Um, I ended up going to work for this little company called Xerox. Uh, yeah. And I had, yeah, yeah. And they were they were fantastic. And they, they had... Um, a role that encompassed major account management, which I was very familiar with. Uh, and then they had a part of the function was customer advocacy, which was Xerox's way of handling the most difficult customer service challenges went to that team. And those were two of my teams. But the third one, they said is customer satisfaction. And I'm like, how is that different than the other two jobs? I'm like, what is that? And they were like, oh, this is our satisfaction program. We do this where we have research and metrics and what matters to customers and how are we improving and all of that. I'm like, that's not really my, my territory. And they're like, oh, you'll be fine. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, well, I love to learn. So let's see what this is all about. And it turned out that it was a part of the job that I love the most. So much so that when I left Xerox, um, I left them to go build the customer experience practice for the first pilot of it in Philips, in the healthcare division of Philips, which was at the same time, I still remember talking to my boss on the first day at Philips and he's going, you're the one with the experience in this space. You need to tell us what we need to go accomplish and how we're going to make this better and how we're going to take it beyond healthcare to the rest of the company. And it's like, okay, well, let's go figure it out. Exactly. Um, and it, I realized after having had that opportunity that I just, I fell in love with it. Like I learned a ton about how you drive improvements using the voice of the customer and how you really are focused on everything from research best practices to customer journeys to how much culture change is required. And I have, um, I've had the ability to use a lot of the skills I have over the years. So I've 
run operations and quality systems. Um, I was in the Lean Six Sigma Black Belt program when I left Xerox. You know, I have that improvement model. I've run customer service teams. Um, I kept thinking, well, how different is customer experience? And it turns out it is really different because it touches every single part of the company. And I think that's one of the best parts of doing this type of job is you get to know every part. There's no part of the company that you don't end up working to make the experience better. No, it makes a great point. I mean, importantly, you need to even know how the how the how customers are coming in, what they're being told, right? In fact, it it, it it dictates their whole journey, if that makes sense. Yeah. Even something as small as, and I, I won't tell you which company is, but we, one of the companies I worked for, um, one of my team identified that we had a customer issue where customers were calling the front desk um, and they would end up going into this weird mailbox if they had a customer complaint or a service issue. Um, and they were getting lost because somehow nobody owned the phone tree and updating the phone tree. So if you knew to call support or whatever, you could get to where you needed to go. But if you somehow ended up at the main number, you ended up in the wrong place and nobody ever found your message. And I was like, wait, what? How does something like that get lost? And it's just, you know, as companies grow and evolve, it's like they were, everybody in, manages their own branch of the tree, but nobody managed the whole thing. So when branches got orphaned, customers would just get lost in it. And so it was, yeah, and it was like, well, that's a really bad customer experience. These were the days where we were only measuring growth and new customer acquisition. We weren't, we weren't measuring the customer's experience. Yeah, but so it was like, oh, nobody even realized it was happening. And it was like, well, that's something that we can actually go fix. And that meant working with facilities because it was front desk. It meant working with the, you know, the telephone team. It meant working with a support organization, like where would you want these to go and all of that. So it was really, it turned out that my team was like, well, that was a fun project and just figuring out how they can help customers not get lost anymore. Did you see a difference from Xerox to, uh, to it was a GE you mentioned or? No, Philips. 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 Like working with, you know, medical professionals versus just anyone in business, I would imagine uses Xerox was a different persona. I think that every company gets to customer experience in a different way. So if you think about Xerox was an all channel function, meaning that, you know, direct customer experience was more in a support model rather than, you know, all of the selling was in a reseller model. You mm -hmm. go to a store and buy a printer or a copier, or maybe you have someone come to your, your building if you're a business. Um, but, you know, Philips is very much a, a relationship driven and technology driven thing if you think about healthcare, which is, you know, I, it was funny because I went from Philips to Citrix in the first five years at Citrix, I was in their go-to division. So go to meeting, go to assist, go to my PC, go to webinar. Um, and so it was all software mm -hmm. and it was all sold, you know, you could you sell via the phone, you sell online. And it was like, oh, well, what kind of experience does that make for customers? But in the end, it all comes down to we're people. And, you know, there really isn't a difference between buying technology on behalf of your company or buying space or whatever you're buying for your company. And there is then going out to dinner and what your experience is there or going to the store and buying a new product for your house. It, you have the same expectations about you should get value for your money. It should be do what it says it's going to do, and it should be a good experience in getting it and using it.
That makes a good point. And I think that a lot of times, you know, you mentioned when you first came to the position, you know, whoever your 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 mentor was or boss was like, you got to figure it out, right? But in reality, it's like you could throw it back and be like, well, I haven't figured it out. Think about your experience at the restaurant on the ship, right? Um, so people think it's a whole different language when it's really not. It, it, it that you made up. It's if you have, you know, the experience you want because you're a consumer, right? So it's like if everybody is giving what they want to receive, um, we probably would have a better CX experience overall, right? <laughs> Very true. Very true. So did you always that you would be in the business of taking care of people and a customer experience or was this you just woke up one day and you're like this is my path what? i think i fell in love with customer experience because i like helping people and i like being able to make a difference and because i like learning something all the time if it's uh, it's not something where i get to learn something new and grow then i'm not going to be particularly happy and so there's very few jobs we get to do all three of those things um, every single day and I think that you might, you might say I'm addicted to this type of job now uh, because it's just so much fun. Yeah. Well, I'm like, you have to be very passionate about running a CX team for, like I said, it's, it's, it's almost a small country, I think. Um, <laughs> the size of a Well, I think that's an interesting statement. I said, because, you know, it's, um, you have a lot of responsibility, um, but you don't get to tell anybody what to do. It's all about identifying what matters most and persuading people to come along the journey with you. And that means that it's not about running a really big organization. It's about really inspiring everybody to come along the journey and make things better. Well, that brings up my next question. What do you think for you as a professional, what was the skill set that got you here? You know, I would say in the beginning of your career, um, then all of a sudden had a change. What was what was the at the beginning of your career that changed the second half? Because I know, you know, us leaders, we 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 lose some things to get to the next. And like, how has that changed? What was the the the, the major skill set you needed to be an operator of CX to a leader of CX? Well, you know, if you want to lead a CX organization, it's my philosophy that you have to have a certain level of knowledge and expertise in all six disciplines of customer experience. Um, you for most people they start in one of those areas and grow their skill set um, but if you think of that it really covers you know what's a customer centric strategy what's the intended customer experience or the north star what we want to achieve because if you don't have that set then you know what's the old phrase if you don't know where you're going any road will get you there yeah and um, also means you don't know what destination you're going to end up at right so your customer experience is inconsistent without that strategy that vision and the roadmap to get there and then you have culture you know what's a customer-centric culture look like how can you really drive that in your business you have customer listening which is both qualitative and quantitative research which is where i got my start in the program i ran at xerox um, then there is customer journeys and really how do you design the personas and the end-to-end -end experience for customers from the point where they become aware of the brand where if you do all things well and they're advocates on behalf of that brand. Um, there's always the sexy one of governance that everybody lines up for. <laughs> um, but governance turns out to be a really critical part of a CX program with everything from GDPR to personal information privacy laws to how you handle data. It's all of those things that are really critical part of what you do in CX. Um, and last but not least is really design thinking and how do you handle the experience design elements. So, 
we're all used to seeing Apple and their physical space design in their stores, maybe, and their technology design. But the experience you have, the experience you have of the company buying something, the experience you have when you get support from them, all of those things along that journey should be intentionally designed to deliver on that North Star in your strategy so that you know that every part of that journey, employees know how they're a part of that and they know how that experience gets better. And over the years, I've become a passionate advocate for employee experience as well, because if you're in there making the business better and you're making the customer experience better, you should darn well be making the employee experience better as well. Well, yeah, that, that, that customers, people forget that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Part of it. So these and are the, these are the, six, for the six disciplines of customer success. Customer experience. Yes. Customer experience. See, I need, I need education. So <laughs> with these six principles, you've built a foundation for the customer experience at Ericsson. Mm-hmm. So and it is really what you do in any kind of, of customer experience practice you start. And so if you're, you know, a new CX leader out there, depends on where your company has the most need. Like maybe they don't have good customer listening. Um, maybe they don't have best practices and how you listen and make sure that every question you ask customers is, delivers an actionable insight and you do something with the feedback. It's a great place to start your CX practice. And if you don't have the knowledge there, you should go out and get it and figure out like, what is the difference? I mean, how many surveys have you taken in your life or looked at and went, this is awful. I have no desire to take this. But a really well-designed survey, exactly, right? I love it. I want a mug someday that says, anyone can design surveys. Um, And then I put a little carrot in there before surveys and say, design bad surveys because that's what most of them are. Well-intentioned, but poorly written and not focused on the purpose for the research, which is really to understand what customers' experience is and measure progress is to improve it. And that, you know, that alone can make a significant improvement in your business. 100%. I mean, one of my biggest problems as a, as a young leader was doing surveys to my team and then not following up, right? Or, or not making action. I think it's just as bad as not having a survey. Um, so anybody listening, if you're going to do a survey, the the after survey part, following up, thank you for their survey. We're listening to you. This is on a roadmap. This is not, you know, that's a big part of it because you can design a good survey, but if if the, the person filling it out doesn't believe they're heard, they're not going to fill it out again. Yeah. When I, I ran customer experience for Concur for a number of years, and one of the things we did to earn back our customer trust was to show them what we did with their feedback. Um, And I think, I wonder if you could still Google it now. It's interesting. It was the Concur Annual Customer Experience Report. And in it was like, here are highlights of things we heard from you in the past year that we needed to make better. And here's how we made progress on that, or here's how we delivered those improvements. It was really not just to show our customers, but our employees that we were doing something with what we learned. Um, and that really used to make a, a big difference. I knew that we were having an impact when I got stopped by a customer who said, I have not had my survey yet this year. When do I get it? And I'm like, you know, it's random. So sometime this year, you will get it. I don't even know. I guess I could look it up, but you know, I don't know when you're going to be scheduled. They're like, but I have feedback. And I'm like, oh, that's phenomenal. Who asks for the survey? Well, you do if you know it's short. It's actionable, and the company's going to do something about it. Yeah. 
No, 100%. I was going to ask you what CX means to you, but for me, I think you just answered it with the six disciplines of CX because that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a deck to share with us? I want to I'm gonna follow up with you after this podcast this year. This year uh, yep. You know, I think that it, I would encourage people um, to, if they want to learn from far more, you know, variety of experts in many of the fields of, of CX, that they should go take a look at Customer Experience Professionals Association. Um, CXPA is a global org of all the people like me who do this sort of stuff every day, who fight those battles, who learn that capability um, and have so much tremendous knowledge to share. I'm just truly lucky to have been one of the founding members. Um, and by that, not one of the founders, but one of the original members <laughs> in the first year it started. Um, I give all credit to um, two of the giants in this space, which is Gene Bliss and Bruce Temkin, who their voices have echoed as being passionate contenders and advocates and experience that is phenomenal that they share, that they said, this is something we should bring people together to share that very kind of knowledge. Um, so I think that that's the kind of thing where you want to go is to go spend time with people who have learned what you want to learn and are willing to share it. I agree. So there's a few six leaders in the background that we don't know about. And I'm sharing <laughs> secrets with us. I just pulled up the site and says join now. I, I hope I'm going to hit the button. We'll see if I get, if I get accepted. I'll have, to, I'll have to send a little email to you to give me a little bit of a push. But that's great. So those, so those are two of your mentors that you recommend people following. They're probably publishing a lot of great information, I would imagine, right? Mm -hmm. And these networks exist, which is cxpa.org. Um, I have it pulled up. I'm going to check it out, which is awesome. Um, you know, tearing it a different direction, you're obviously constantly building a CX department that's always evolving. You know, are there any specific skill sets that stand out to you when it comes to hiring or building a CX team? Like, like how do you guide HR or your managers? Like, this is the, this, these are the people we want on our team, or do you leave it in their hands or do you kind of give them a direction of, of the, you know, the main traits um, of people that you would want? Is it, you know, sales, empathy, listening, customers? What does that look like um, when it comes to building that team? Uh, you know, because CX is still a, a relatively new field, I, you know, I think it's really important that a good CX leader has a very hands-on approach. I will admit that that's also my philosophy as a hiring leader. There's no, I think there's no set of skills more important than hiring and building a great team when you're a leader and that's a leader of anything, which means that if I decide that I'm gonna not really be a key player and be heavily involved in hiring for my organization, um, how do I know I get the right people who really not only bring the right skill sets for the role, but they also are adding to the team. So I'll give you an example. Um, in the discipline of listening, we just recently um, have been looking for a senior researcher, someone who has both the qualitative and quantitative research skills to bring to the team. But one of the things that was unexpected is that the person we chose turns out, I think, to be one of the happiest people I have ever met. He just has exudes this warmth and, and kindness and happiness. Um, that I thought, wow, what a gift to the team that he will bring, not just his knowledge and expertise, but his, his personality will add value, right? So how you think about building teams that really connect to one another 
I think are especially important because CX organizations don't tend to be very big. You need, you need good researchers, you need good experienced designers, you need people who are good at driving customer-centric improvement, you need people who are really great at communication and change management. I'm a huge fan of the ProSci model for ADCAR um, for driving change. It's phenomenal for really, because it's very people-centric. It's about how do you help people through the change and change is at its heart, everything you do at a CX org. And so I look for people who are balanced across those capabilities. Do you have design thinking skills? You know, did you go spend time at the Stanford Design School? Have you led experienced design projects? Can you facilitate workshops? Can you, how do you overcome objections and, and help people um, want to be a part of change? All of those skills are something that you have to have a good composite of across the team in order to make sure that they can have a tremendous impact for the employees and the customers. That's great. And, and <laughs> skills, I think, fall within those six disciplines, right? Um, do leaders need to have all those six disciplines if they want to join your team? <laughs> uh, I think it depends on what their role is, right? Um, so if, um, you know, this is my fifth time building a customer experience practice from the ground up, none of my teams have been exactly the same because um, it really comes down to what do our employees, our business, and our customers need from us right now, and that determines who we hire and what we need from a capability standpoint. So I think from the basics, you know, any CX team should have a good grounding in the research side, because that's how you build out journey maps, that's how you build out the end-to-end, -end, you know, moments that matter, and you can measure whether you're doing customer-centric objectives and key results, or whether you're doing surveys, like whatever thing you're doing from a metric perspective. Um, but I think it's hard to be a good leader in such a, a deep specialty practice if you don't have at least a good working knowledge. Um, would I ever say that I'm a world-class experience designer? No, but have I been to the Stanford D School? Have I gone through training? Have I led design thinking workshops? Have I done facilitation of those things and taught some of the principles. Yeah, in fact, that was probably one of the most fun things I learned when I worked for Citrix, which was a very design thinking oriented company. Um, but I think that that's part of the joy of the job is getting to learn those capabilities. And sometimes you learn it in projects because you do it. And sometimes you learn it from the people you hire. Yeah, there's, they're, not, they're, not, they're not teaching this at the MBA uh, level. <laughs> No, there's no customer experience, you know, career guide or, you know, degree you can go get. Yeah, there's no, there's no master's in customer experience yet. The real yeah. world, it's a real world experience you need to get. Um, I, I, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, for those who don't know, like Ericsson is one of those organizations that behind the scenes is running the hardware and the software behind a lot of our networks, right? And a lot of mission critical uh, technologies. I, you know, I would guess hospital equipment, right? MRIs, things like that, or or more phones and networks. But being so mission critical, um, your customer experience, I think, has to be, you know, I would say you guys probably have a few, you don't have an unlimited amount of potential customers, right? Um, and your customers are partners, I think you probably look for as partnerships for 50 to 100 years, right? Like it's, it's these are long-term partnerships. Does that change the nature of your CX program where it's like not even an option? It's just infused into your business model where your customers are just, you know, you know their problems before they know their problems. Like I would imagine is that, how does that look? You know, 
I would have to say that like any, you know, important element of customers and their customer experience, you have to meet your customers where they're at. And so we are are lucky that in, in the terms of the crisis that we're in right now, um, the network and the availability of the network, the speed of the network is all the more critical because with so many people working from home, just like we are, um, the fact that this is running, the fact that we can talk to each other and have it go smoothly, that's that's pretty mission critical because it's really keeping people sane and connected to their families. It's helping them accomplish their business goals. It's helping them work from home. It's helping kids like my daughter go to school online. That's pretty incredible to be a part of that and to support that. I think it really comes down to what are we going to do um, about where our customers are at. So that's what I meant by meet them where they're at. Some customers are like, I just need you to be there if I need you there. Some customers are like, I need to build more. They're like, okay, whatever we need, we can meet you there. That's okay. Like we can we can have that conversation together um, and be there to support them. And that I think is one of the things I love about the Ericsson culture. It's just how incredible our people are. Um, and, you know, it's been, I think, pretty, pretty exciting to see how much we've mobilized. I think that the what I'd heard is somewhere around, um, let's see, 85,000 of our employees um, are working from home. If it weren't for the network, yeah. we couldn't do that. It's, it's, it's really, it, it's, it's, it's the truth. You know, I look at your website and I think a big buzzword that is going around is 5G, right? 5G here, 5G there. It's interesting to know that you guys are like an ingredient, right? You're like the source that then other brilliant companies, developers will build technology that will change customer experience. Um, before we, you know, when we first met, you brought up the, exper uh, the experience of using Oculus, right? Like maybe you could tell us, you know, that that experience and how you see 5G kind of relating to that, uh, how it's going to change the future of CX potentially. Mm. Well, you know, I, I think what's amazing to me um, about 5G is how much potential for innovation there is in the future. Um, I am by far and away not the person you should ask about the technology or, or all of how it works. Um, what I think is fascinating is about its capabilities. Um, and the, so the example I used with Oculus is I said, you know, um, today you have to put on the goggles and all of that, you know, sort of equipment you have to have in order to have a VR experience. Um, but what could be the potential of having with the speed and the capabilities that 5G has, where you could do virtual reality gameplay and have no technology between you and what you visualize? That would be pretty awesome. I think it would be great. I mean, imagine the future of even a podcast experience where you and I are both virtual holograms seeing each other, right? I think so. This is these are the backbone, right? I think without the work you guys are doing, none of this, you know, future that we envision on TV shows and Black Mirror and, and Netflix, they wouldn't really come true without you know the the work that you guys are doing. And then it's that CX experience that's keeping the customers happy, which is translating to billions of dollars of revenue, which translates to research and development which gives you the ability to test new technologies like 5G, right? And people just take it for granted. Um, but this is, this is what it takes. A lot of work, a lot of development, a lot of money, and it all comes from the CX experience because if we're not taking care of our customers, the engine kind of stops. 
Right. And if we're not taking care of our employees, then it's going to be even more difficult. I mean, what is the future of work going to look like post-COVID? And how many companies have already said, well, we're actually not going to have facilities anymore. We're going to go all virtual, all remote. Well, that only, like, what type of innovative technologies and capabilities are going to come out of that? Because that's all about how are you going to communicate even better and work together even better real time? Like, how many times have I said, I really wish I had like a virtual whiteboard, not the one in my screen, but one right here I could just draw on and we could all draw together. And it's like, that would be so cool. I don't have to try and use the mouse. I don't have to use, like, I could just sit in here and draw and like we could, we could collaborate together right there. I see the world so, where our walls are like, you know, else, I don't know what technology, but we, we go to office mode and it's like, we're in our office, right? And, <laughs> Someone knocks on the door and we turn off the office, right? The office goes away because um, it's all how you perceive things, right? And it's, it's, it's uh, people are going to want to have fake drives to work to decompress, right? It's going to be like a virtual drive to work and a virtual drive home, right? <laughs> I would love that. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys are going to be the backbone of it. I think one of the greatest things for me being a leader of a, a technology uh, enabled BPO is that I get to learn and kind of see the people behind the organizations that change the world. Because at first, like I said, you go to you go to a website of an Ericsson or, or an Oracle or a, a huge company, and you're like, I don't know what these guys do, right? Because it's it's like 60 years of buying other companies and just they're they're big. Right? It, you're doing a lot, so much that it's hard to understand for the the average person. But it's it's great jumping on these podcasts and kind of learning what's behind the scenes because. Now I'm gonna sound smart at a dinner talking about all the work you guys are doing at Ericsson and people are gonna be like, how does Amir know this? And I'm, they're not gonna know that I've had this conversation, but prior to this, I wouldn't have known. But now I'm like, oh, this is these are the people we need to thank for giving us the tools uh, and the hardware possible for the future that I envision. So um, thank you, Tabitha, for all the work you guys are doing over there. Really, really oh. appreciate it. Yeah. I am, I'm by far and away the least person to think. We have so many brilliant engineers and, and developers and, and innovative people. I am in awe of what they come up with. And it's just to me something that I love to hear about. Part of the CX experience is taking care of the employees. So you do. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, but everyone has their role. Startups. Would you ever, ever, ever consider working for a startup in your life again? Or... <laughs> I don't think it's again. I think you've always had the privilege of working for big companies, but would you ever work for a startup? Wow. You know, I suppose if it were the right startup, it goes back to what I doing what I love. Um, and so, you know, if it really matched those three criteria of doing what I love, then I suppose, I suppose it would be. I, for many years though, it's not been a case of thinking about leaving my role for something new and big, but having something come my way that I just couldn't say no to, which was exactly what happened with Ericsson, which turned out to be an amazing company full of incredible people, leaders that I highly respect, um, and I've only learned to respect so much more during this crisis, and what, you know, their really employee and customer-centric leadership has been, for me, a rare privilege to see. And hey, bonus, I got to come and live in Sweden, so that's been pretty darn cool. Yeah, 100%. Um... Mm -hmm. Next is going to be, so this is your first year in Sweden, right? It is indeed, yeah. Did you survive a winter yet? You did. You went through. 
Yes. Although, you know, I would say the winter was not that bad Um, and certainly not that far off. We lived in the Seattle area in Bellevue before we came here. So, you know, and in some ways I thought the winter was actually nicer because you got snow and more sun. There you go. Sweden, they can reach out to you for sure. You mentioned, so you mentioned, you mentioned CXPA.org. Are there any other books or podcasts that you recommend for any aspiring um, customer-centric leader out there to listen to, to, to absorb, to take in? Anything else you'd recommend? Hmm. You know, I um, I really have always felt that the book Outside In um, by Forrester is a good foundational um, set of work to understand you know, the basis of customer experience. Um, If you want to um, listen to things like there's the Customer 360 podcast. I know Gene Bliss has a podcast. Um, Bruce Temkin runs the Experience Management Institute, which really covers both customer and employee experience. He um, runs that for for Qualtrics these days. Um, So that's, you know, the way to, to look him up and his team and what they're doing from research about best practices is really valuable. Um, certainly CXPA for sharing and peer networking and, and so forth is phenomenal. And then, you know, I would say that if you want to learn things like design thinking, then go to the Stanford D School virtually. They have incredible videos there that can help teach you what are the principles, um, why empathy and then prototyping and, and many of those capabilities. And, you know, I think that that gets anybody a good place to start and a lot for them to listen and learn from. That was so much, so much good things to share. I'm gonna actually ask you to, to follow up on an email with that. I, Jean, I pulled up Jean Bliss and connected with her, um, but then I got too slow with the computer pulling up. So you have to follow up with that, and I could I could share with that in the comments when we post this podcast for everybody listening. Uh, but this has been amazing. I, I I admire the work you're doing. Um, I think that you're an amazing person and have an amazing resource for any other CX leader out there that's trying to trying to climb up the ladder and learn um, what it takes and this has been great. I appreciate you coming on the Cloud9 podcast, and I look forward to uh, all the technologies that you guys are going to produce. And I think I'm going to see some more involvement with you on uh, in the CX world. I know you're going to be you're going to be on uh, more speaking engagements this year. I'm going to push you. Um, <laughs> but I thank you again for taking the time to uh, to chat with us here. Thanks for having me. I always appreciate the chance to share and get to learn new things. So I enjoyed learning about you and your company today too. Appreciate it. Well, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks again for joining the Cloud9 podcast. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye.